Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. We're all part of a family. We're all part of a body. And at this point in Ephesians, Paul is he's going to start to touch on it. But the further he goes into the epistle, he's going to really develop this idea, this picture of the church being uh, an entirely new community, but even more than a new community, the church being really an entirely new humanity. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Ephesians. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 11 through 18 in a message titled, One New Man. Now, here's Pastor Brian. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 22. Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who were called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, made in the flesh by hands, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the common wealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near, For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore we are no longer, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Well, here we are once again continuing our study through this great letter of Paul to the Ephesians. And let's remember that Paul's primary objective in the first part of this letter is to magnify the grace of God, to to show forth how glorious God's grace is. And he's been doing that by, by way of contrast. Of course, in the first chapter, he just, he just really spells it out, all, all that God has done for us. But then in the second chapter, he's been doing it by way of contrast. So God's uh, grace is, is seen when we consider the fact that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, But now by God's grace, we've been made alive together in Christ. We were formerly the children of wrath, but because of God's grace, we are now his own special people. We are his children. In verse 11, 
where we come to today in our study, Paul continues this line of thought, only now he's going to describe it from the collective rather than from the individual standpoint. So the emphasis has been on the, the individual standpoint or coming from the individual standpoint, we, our, our personal salvation, our, our individual salvation. And of course, that's the great message of the new covenant uh, that all of us individually, personally are gonna know God through Christ from the least to the greatest. But there's also this collective aspect that sometimes we fail to realize. We're all part of uh, a family. We're all part of a body. And at this point in Ephesians, Paul is he's going to start to touch on it. But the further he goes into the epistle, he's going to really develop this idea, this picture of the church being uh, an entirely new community. But even more than a new community, the church being really an entirely new humanity. This is what you are part of. You are part. If you are a believer in Christ today, you are a part of a new humanity. God is recreating the universe and he started with people. We are the first specimens of his new creation, James says. And so Paul's going to begin to develop that uh, by, by looking here at the reconciliation that we've received, not just to God, but how we've been reconciled to one another. And so he says here, therefore remember that you once Gentiles. Now the term Gentile, we read this, we read this word a lot in the New Testament, don't we? Uh, Gentile was originally a reference to the nations outside of Israel. Uh, the Hebrew word is the Hebrew word goyim. And, and the word goyim is translated in the Old Testament generally as nations. Sometimes uh, it might be even translated as heathen. It just meant the, the people who were outside of the covenant. But it came to have also the idea, a, a negative idea of, of sinfulness and wickedness. So Paul's writing to people who are technically Gentiles, but they're no longer Gentiles in that that negative sense of their sinfulness. So you were, you were once Gentiles, but now something has taken place. It's almost impossible for us in the 21st century AD to think ourselves back to those days when humanity was deeply divided between Jews and Gentiles. You know, when, when we read this today, we, we don't sometimes see the, the full significance of what is being talked about here because we don't have that division today. We don't have that division of, of Jew and Gentile like they had in the early days of the church. But to get an idea of how, how radical this division was, let me quote to you from one writer. Looking back at that time, he said, the Jew had an immense contempt for the Gentile. The Gentiles, said the Jews, were created by God to be fuel for the fires of hell. God, they said, loves only Israel of all the nations that he had made. It was not even lawful. This is according to all the rabbinic tradition. It was not even lawful to render help to a Gentile mother in her hour of sorest need. 
for that would simply be to bring another Gentile into the world. The barrier between them was absolute. If a Jewish boy married a Gentile girl or if a Jewish girl married a Gentile boy, the funeral of that Jewish boy or girl was carried out. Such contact with a Gentile was the equivalent of death. So this deep-seated contempt the Jews held for the Gentiles, for, for those who were not part of the Jewish nation. Now, the feelings were mutual. The Gentiles had no great love for the Jews either. The, the sad and the tragic thing is that this was never God's intention. God never intended that the Jews would hold the Gentiles in this kind of contempt. They ended up thinking this way because they forgot that they had been chosen by God to be his representatives to draw the Gentiles to him. They had been chosen by God to be a light to the Gentiles. But instead of realizing that that was their privilege, they interpreted the privileges that God gave them, they interpreted them as favoritism, and they started to think of themselves as better than the Gentiles, as superior to them spiritually, and this attitude of contempt developed there. And so this was the environment that the gospel would go into. And for the Jews, it was hard to, to shake these things that had, that had been so deeply rooted in their culture. And much of the New Testament is addressing these kinds of things. The apostle addresses this over and over again. The very interesting thing is that Paul, of, of all of the Jews, would have had the worst attitude toward the Gentiles having been a Pharisee. The Pharisees didn't only look down upon the Gentiles, they looked down upon everybody. They held their own countrymen in contempt because they didn't agree with their particular views on the law and so forth. But, but this is the man who's writing this and it shows the, the kind of transformation that the gospel does in a per, person's life. Paul was so radically transformed that he is fully arms wide open. He's braced, embracing the Gentiles. He's glorying in the fact that he's been called to be the apostle to the Gentiles. This was revolutionary. This would have been really, really difficult for many Jews at the time. So Paul, it's indicated in what he says here. Therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision. This was a pejorative term. This was a term of derision. When a, gen, when a Jew would look at a Gentile and refer to him as uncircumcised, that was um, an insult. This is how they looked at the Gentiles. Called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. And then Paul adds these words, made in the flesh by hands. Made in the flesh by hands. Paul just, in, in a sense here, he just dismisses the whole thing. In the, the epistle to the Galatians, Paul makes it clear there that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For all are one in Christ. All share an equality in Christ. So he, he dismisses it by using this term, made in the flesh by hands. This is just a human invention. Paul says it means absolutely nothing. But he does describe in verse 12 the true condition of the Gentiles at the time. 
that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That's the description. Can you think of a more pathetic description than that? But you know, it's not only the description of the Gentiles back in Paul's day. It's really true of all of those who are outside of Christ today, isn't it? This is the world. This is where people in the world are at today. This is where many of us previously were. I read these words and I I can identify with these words personally because I remember the time in my life when I was without Christ. I had no real knowledge of Christ. I had no, no hope in a savior. I remember when I was without God. I remember when my life was purposeless and there, there was no meaning and everything was confusing. And I remember the hopelessness that I felt back in those days. So it's not something that is simply relegated back to this point in history. It is the ongoing plight of all of those who are outside of Christ. But back in those days, archaeologists have discovered numbers and numbers of pieces of literature, poetry, inscriptions on tombs and so forth that that would express the the emptiness and the hopelessness of the people at the time. Let me just give you two examples. In 500 BC, there's a piece that was written by a person named Theogenes, and this is what was written. I will try to have a good time while I am young because I will lie under the earth for a long time, voiceless as a stone, and I shall leave the sunlight that I loved, then I shall see no more. And then he adds at the end, no mortal is happy under the sun. That was 500 years before Christ, 50 years before Jesus came. The Roman poet Catalyst wrote these words, the sun can set and rise again, but once our brief light sets, there is one unending night. And these are just small examples of literally thousands of inscriptions that have been found that indicate the same kind of hopelessness, the same sort of emptiness. But like I said, it's not... It's not simply that that was the case back then. A a while back, a couple of years ago, I think it was, Cheryl and I were staying up in Santa Barbara for a few days, and, you know, her dad's family had had come from there. So her great-grandmother was buried in the Santa Barbara Cemetery there. And so she wanted to go find the, the grave and see the plaque that was there, and so we were looking for it, and we ended up looking in the wrong place of cemetery. So we, we spent like a good hour at least just looking at dozens and dozens and dozens of gravestones. And I remember myself even being sort of shocked at the hopelessness that was being expressed in the inscriptions. I found very few I found very few references to scripture, very few references to hope in Christ. And there were some. And, and I remember as I was going through and I would finally see one that maybe had a scripture reference on or, you know, the dead in Christ shall rise or something like that. It would almost like I just like, oh, yeah, praise the Lord. Oh, good. Yes. To know that this person had hope. But the vast majority didn't. 
And this is the state of man by nature without Christ. Aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But, here's that word but again. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You see, so here go, here's Paul again. He's making the contrast. This is what you were, but by the grace of God, this is now what has happened. You have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You, you formerly were separated. You were disconnected, but now you've been reconciled. You've been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's God's grace. And then he says in verse 14, for he himself is our peace who is made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. Now, in verse 14, Paul refers to this, the fact that Jesus has... First of all, he is our peace. He's made both one, Jew and Gentile. He's made us now one into a whole new humanity. I'll get to that in a moment. But he's broken down the middle wall of separation. Most commentators believe, and I think it's actually the case, Paul is making a specific reference here to a wall that had been erected during that time at the temple in Jerusalem a wall that separated the the court of the Gentiles from the Jewish section of the temple. And there was nothing necessarily the matter with having the the separation, but it was the, the wall of separation that was really indicative of where the hearts of the people were. Because it wasn't simply that they built a wall, but then they placed warning signs all around the wall stating that anyone who would trespass beyond this point, any Gentile that would trespass beyond this point would do so on the pains of death. So this, this is, again, you see that attitude. The Gentiles could only come so far. Now, in these days, really, according to the Jew, if a Gentile wanted to be a, a worshiper of God, you, you actually had to become a proselyte. You had to convert to Judaism. There was no way at least from the standpoint of the Jewish mind, that the Gentiles could ever have any kind of a, a direct access to God as the Jews had. What Paul is telling the world in this passage is that is exactly what God has done. God has opened the door for the Gentiles to come and have a relationship with God, not via Judaism. They don't have to go that, that route any longer. Now they can come directly to him. And these are the things that Paul is talking about here because Christ has abolished the things that prevented that from happening. And it's a little bit complex here what Paul is saying, but what he's actually telling us, he's talking about the law and how God's law was the very thing that separated us 
both from him and it separated the Gentiles from the Jews. Now the law of God separated us from him. It didn't bring us to him. The, one of the greatest mistaken notions in all of the history of the church is the notion that somehow the law of God brings you to God, that you, you obey God's law and then that's how you get into favor with him. You keep the 10 commandments and then God accepts you. That's completely contrary to the New Testament. It's completely contrary to the Old Testament as well. It, that's not what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach that the law was actually the thing that was separating us from God. And it was because of our inability to keep it. And what the law was constantly doing is pointing to our sin. And as God had declared to the prophet Isaiah, my ear's not heavy that I can't hear. My arm's not short that I can't save. But your sins have separated you from me. You see, the law pointed out our sin. But then also the law really had built into it this separation between Jew and Gentile. Like I've already said, the Jews took it to a whole nother level that was never intended by God. But God originally built into the law things that would keep the Jewish nation separate from the rest of the nations of the world for their protection, for their benefit. So there were the dietary laws and the hygienic laws. And these things all really mitigated against close association with the Gentiles. But what Paul is telling us is that Christ, he did away with all of this. He took the law out of the way through dying in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. And that reconciles us to God. He fulfilled all of those types and things that the rituals of the law were pointing to. So he removed that barrier between Jew and Gentile. He did all of this through his work on the cross. Now, as Paul is writing this, he's explaining it to the Gentiles, but I think he's also in the back of his mind explaining it to the Jews because they needed to be reminded of this over and over and over again. You know, it's amazing how we can get certain things so ingrained in our minds that even though God might have done something entirely different or new. We're, we're so programmed to think in a certain way, we just have a hard time embracing that or realizing that. And so Paul keeps bringing this back around over and over and over again, reminding them that this is a whole new thing. The church is a whole new thing. God is doing a, a new thing with the church, as I said. And he says here, to make of the two in himself, he's making of the two one new man. Or you can extend that idea out, one new man. Like I said earlier, it's one new humanity. And now, let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource on Back to Basics. There are certain Christian books that we would refer to today as classics, books that have just stood the test of time, and generation after generation of Christians have benefited from them. There is a book that is recently published called Gentle and Lowly, written by Dane Ortland. And, you know, many people are already saying that this is a Christian classic. Now, Gentle and Lowly is taken from the passage in Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus 
says of himself that he is gentle and lowly in heart. And so this book is looking at Jesus through that lens, and we're going to find out that Jesus is much more gracious, much more patient, much more loving than we ever imagined him to be. So this is a fantastic book, and I highly recommend it, especially for anyone who has a tendency to feel like they failed God, they've let him down, or you're not sure about God's love for you. This book is going to, I think, forever give you the right perspective on the heart of Jesus for his children. So check it out, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. Again, this month's resource is a book titled Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers by Dane Ortland. You can order the book Gentle and Lowly by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Ephesians. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.